Immediately get started. Good evening to absolutely everybody. Uh, thank you for your support on the last two episodes of the Anatomy Podcast for Planet Killer and No Face, No Case. And obviously the episode, now three episodes behind us now, uh, with Brian Baver of The Breathing Process. The reason that tonight we are doing episode 32 with Sam of The Human Tragedy for those of you who are familiar with the formula, we have the first section that is meant for the person where we're, we're really learning the history and how the musician at hand got into doing what they do as a musician. And then the second half, we kind of learn all the questions that you can imagine basically enabling and enacting perspective for the musician at hand as far as the band that we are also trying to promote in the process during this podcast episode now again joining us tonight here is sam if your last name is brashier brushier 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 okay cool so now we know that so sam brushier of the human tragedy which um is a really really cool album um the man himself sam sent legacy of extermination the title track off of one of their full lengths that came out this year legacy of extermination basically combining what i would argue to be some of the best spookiest elements and orchestra everything that i've actually ever wanted to do in the band and a little bit more just kind of elevating my what i'm wanting to do now for my own project um with this album be sure to go check it out but basically as we get started sam how are you doing sir i'm very good 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 and again uh basically tonight we're going to be learning about you as a person you as a musician uh your entire legacy thus far with the little snippets that we've heard you and me bouncing back and forth um in our messages and then we will be just asking you a couple questions about your participation your contributions to the human tragedy which seems to be a really cool band and again i loved uh, the legacy, the legacy of extermination album, um, front to back, really, really cool. Really felt like a movie soundtrack. So, I mean, basically, just go from the very beginning, the earliest point of your musical career, and tell us, tell your story, man. Because from what I've heard and when, from what you've been telling me, like we got a lot to talk about. This is actually the first time I've ever told how I got started in music. For one, cool. I was probably nine or ten years old. Um, I was having trouble sleeping a lot, you know. And um, my grandmother, my dad's mom, had heard that you know classical music will help you know sometimes help put put you to sleep. So I remember getting this box that she gave me. It had a bunch. It was a time up time life collection of stuff like Bach, Beethoven, Handel, and all these different CDs different pieces in them. I mean I just remember they always helped me fall asleep and I guess it just kind of stuck on me from that point but through my teenagers I really didn't play anything um, I didn't start playing music until I was 19 and uh, I remember the moment that I wanted to start playing was I was I think it was like November of 99 and I think Metallica's S&M just came out 
And I remember watching that, and I thought that was like the greatest thing ever because it was metal and also had the orchestral elements with it too. Right. I mean, that, that was pretty much what kind of gave me the itch to go out and learn to play in the beginning. Okay. Let's see, And then, let's see, so you, you mentioned that um, as early as 10 years old, uh, you were like having sleeping issues and that um, basically classical music, Beethoven, plenty of artists like that ended up getting you into what uh, you do here at the moment. And that with when it came to the early teenage years, middle school, the high school, you ended up plugging into uh, Metallica, which is really cool. So if anything, as we continue the story, um, basically what I want to know is when did you end up like investing even vaguely into drums? Like what was the earliest point that you ended up investing into drums? I remember uh, it was in 2003. I was hanging out with a guy that my mom worked with his wife and um, the, he invited me down. And um, the first thing he played for me was Demu Borders, Puritanical Euphoria Misanthropia. And I thought that was probably the most insane thing I had ever heard in my life. From the guitars, the drums were absolutely like, I was like, I can't believe, you know, people can actually play this. Because I've never heard nothing like it. Because prior to that, I was just listening to like the older Metallica, Testament, you know, pretty much all the thrash bands. And, and after that, I mean, it, it's... It, it snowballed with demo. Then I discovered. Then I discovered Dream Theater, uh, Symphony X. Oh, uh, right afterwards, and then it just kind of just grew and grew from that point on. Fun, yeah. And um, you said you said early on, like what what were you the first like major bands that were really uh, getting you into drumming? What what do you say they were? Um, Metallica, Megadeth. Megadeth. Um, Slayer, like or, like middle Slayer, like Diablos era, stuff like that. Fun, yeah. And I mean, naturally, at that point, when you're investing into drums and you're listening to something like death metal, it's like, you know, like with no uh, experience applied to the process thus far, death metal is almost intimidating. Like even early on when I was just listening to Slipknot or when I was um, getting into what I would call... 2000s um, to early 2010s. So basically, late 2000s, early 2010s, emo, Sleeping with Sirens, Pierce the Veil, uh, Blackville Brides, which are very starter kit bands for that culture. Um, ex- like excluding the swoopy hair aesthetic, which came with all of the bands at the time. Um, I remember listening to Slipknot and other harder artists. And for sure, like intimidating. I remember even saying and thinking that Slipknot was like a psychotic band. The Devil and I's music video back in like 2015 or something. I remember being authentically scared because of the Devil and I, the music video, and how Sid was like chewing off his own fingers. I'm like, wait a minute, is that real? You know what I mean? Like it was an it was an unfortunate uh it, it was like it was um it's another good example of like early on it's intimidating but as you start investing more into it uh it became more comforting so throughout your high school career really uh like what what would you say 
were your major uh, contributions and milestones that you ended up accomplishing as a drummer? Like, I didn't start playing music until I was 19. I mean, but before playing music, I was grad school, high school. I was all into sports. Like, I had no, I had no interest in music until I was 19. It was just that one singular event that kind of lit that for me to try to pursue that and get better at it. Right. Yeah, my years were, they were pretty lame. I mean, <laughs> it was middle school was the same, just playing sports. That, that, you know, it's just, just typical high school stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. And when it comes to the, when it comes to like the social status quo of being in middle school and high school, no matter where you are in the world, um, here in the United, well, okay, no matter where you are in the United States, isolated to one country um just for the sake of the applicable story um or it being applicable to the story definitely sports and just becoming a jock is just that that's that's what you see in the movies and it's kind of what happens in real life it still happens in real life like if you're the jock you kind of got like all the good stuff going on socially speaking you got a whole bunch of friends whole bunch of connections um so you said you ended up investing into sports in middle school and high school, and you only got into music when you were about 19. So like now that we're now that I'm like understanding a little bit more what was going on um, in middle school and high school, like what were the sports that you were participating in? Like, were you a jack of all trades? Were you getting into soccer and football? Like what was the, the primary avenue? Basketball for the most part, baseball later on in high school. But I mean, I wasn't that good that I got any attendance. So, I mean, I, I, I was still nobody in high school. So, right. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Sam over, Sam's over here just like, I was just another number, but, you know, it's it's okay. Because, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I can I can only imagine that even now you're like, yeah, I'm so glad that I ended up choosing music instead of sports. Like, thinking back on it, do you ever, do you ever think every now and then that, if things took a different course that you might, and that you might have ended up investing a little bit more into sports or was it just like yeah i'm just like just a for effort you know i'm I'm here for a short time but not a long time or i mean my grades were never going to allow me to go anywhere else oh yeah <laughs> yeah my grades weren't going to allow me to do anything else out of high school right right and, and i was yeah. extremely bad in high school i mean i had no girlfriends there high school or even before that or you know even when i got out of high school i still didn't have any girlfriends so i mean right like my life really didn't begin until mm-hmm. i was not so, well i mean yeah and that's that's definitely something that you and i can compare as well because really when i was in middle school and high school like i didn't do the whole sports gig i um definitely was simply the outsider and i didn't like participating in any of that especially for like the the cultural reasons and stuff like that uh just like having the people in those corners of school and just everything, the whole environment, man, the whole concrete jungle that happens with school and mid- through middle school and high school, because that's like more serious. And that's really where you make your impression in your early life on your community um, and just like your local city. I remember just always just investing more into uh at least art and just being strange and you know not like breaking the law and starting fights or doing anything dangerous but definitely nothing productive uh if productive is 
participating in athletic events and going to proms all the time or going to football games. Like I didn't care about any of that, but you better bet your ass that if it was up to me, I, I would have been attending all of those to simply be with friends. But at the same time, I also didn't have a job at the time. So yeah, on that page, simply just quote, my life didn't really start until I was 19 or at least my participation in the music world, which ended up becoming my main focus, um, didn't really start until I was 19. And yeah, I mean, simply put, um, I was always cooking up ideas for like band projects and I've always wanted to become a bassist. And now even me myself, I'm like, huh, kind of sounds fun to do the chops for a band and just like just smack a set. And then on top of that, eventually being me being a deathcore kid, it's like maybe it would be cool one day to learn how to do like blast beats and shit on a, <laughs> on a drum set. But um, with all that in mind, then I uh, definitely want to uh, kick things into gear a little bit and ask how everything like quote started like how was 19 uh the age that you ended up starting and really investing into what would be your current path my first band was a band called broken 13 it was me and a bunch of guys who i think my brother introduced me to is premature metallica pantheras but a lot more simple you know, um, I was pretty much the only sober one in the band. <laughs> and I, that band lasted for about a year. Yeah, I, think, I think the band after that was pretty much the same, but it was a lot more like black metal-ish, mm. but, but not as fast. It's more like Doom. Yeah. This, this is probably 2005, 2006. Okay. And then um, 2007, I was in a, a band called A Cold Sleep. Those elements were pretty much doom meets slightly orchestral industrial. Okay. That band ended in 2010. And then um, tragedy started in like early 2013. Did something tragedy? That was your next project? Yeah, the human tragedy was there. Uh, oh, right. The human tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, okay. So the human tragedy itself ended up starting in 2013. And I noticed even the other day, uh, just when I was listening to Legacy of Extermination, and I was checking out uh, that album because that was that was the first one really you ended up introducing me to. And um, I really ended up enjoying the album cover. Um, but I noticed like your entire discography was uploaded as of this year, or at least all the albums were like 2022 records. So I can only imagine that you guys only f figured out about like um, distributing to Spotify maybe as of this year. Um. I discovered Spotify in 2017, so I, I it's, right. noticed that as well. It's like, it's, it's <laughs> kind of, well, maybe that's a glitch on DistroKid. Maybe. Uh, I mean, ma no, no, the, the first uh, the first record come out in 2017, Awakening come out in 2019, and then there's a big break until this year. Right. Yeah, naturally. 
So, I mean, you said uh, legacy of extermination and like we've obviously we've, we've been bouncing back and forth in the DMs um, since we've been like trying to get this podcast session cooked up. You said uh, that your first record was within here lies pain. So legacy of extermination along the way has ended up being uh, your third full length record, correct? Yes. Sweet. So getting everything started and, um, you know, because DistroKid and Spotify is being goofy right now, uh, are, let's see, speaking for the human tragedy, are you one of the last founding members of the band now? Or, um, Technically, myself and uh, my keyboard player, John, here. Okay. You said you and the... the, the... The guitarist or the keyboard player? The keyboards. Uh, he keyboards. Does all the orchestrations you hear, he wrote. Okay, fun. Okay, cool. So, um, kind of like winding it and like kind of going back in time and just kind of going over uh, what ended up being your uh, legacy in other band projects and stuff. You had Broken 13, which is more Metallica, kind of like what I would call starter kit bands. Uh melting the sound of all those bands together like metallica and pantera load and reload what's up think of like load and reload you know the the bad shit oh yeah <laughs> yeah so like yeah, broken nothing really cool yeah i mean but it's, it's still like it's still really cool to to look back on all of the various projects that you and other people have like tried to cook up because that's just like it's like just going back in time, you know what I mean? And that's among other things. It's fun to do that here on the podcast. Um, so, and that, and I'm just kind of making sure that I am indeed following along with you and kind of like, um, kind of making sure that I am digesting everything and that hopefully that also, pardon me, that also allows for the audience to kind of digest what we've been talking about so far. So first band, Broken 13, not that great, wasn't into it, and you were the only sober one um, in, in the project, which is like, oof, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure that at the very least that it made for some entertaining music. If, if not, like, you know, this is the best I've ever heard. I want to stay in this band forever. Um, I can only hope that that was at least fun while it lasted. I mean, it was definitely fun, especially like my first show was actually the local festival here in my hometown. I mean, that, that was kind of cool. I mean, I, I really, I just remember bits and pieces from, from that band. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, well, I can't say this, like the, the woman I was seeing at the time, I was 19. I think she may have been in her mid thirties. <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, I found out later she was this one of those people who likes to hang around bands and always only daddy musicians, you know, that type of person. Yeah, that sounds groovy. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> so move like kind of moving on though, uh you said because I only ended up naming off uh three different projects here, but a Cold Sleep was another one you did. That was kind of like the precursor to the human tragedy, a mix of doom, orchestral, and in industrial. And like that sounds like a pretty mean mix, um, speaking for genre and subgenre. So like 
what like what ended up happening why why was the reason it ended up uh ending in uh, 20, 2010 uh, let's see. i need to choose my words very carefully here <laughs> uh, the singer and the guitar player were actually dating and lived together okay I'm not going to mention any names, but, but people know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. The the guitar player was, wasn't was the most down-to-earth. <sighs> it's okay. If, if you don't really want to dig that much into it, that's completely fine. He, he, was, he, he, he stayed to himself. He's one of those people who, you, you know, the type you see, they, they, they stay to themselves. They, they don't want to go out in public. All they want to do is just play. And okay. that's it. Reserved. You know? Yeah, and he really didn't – I think A Cold Sleep was was possibly his first band. Okay. So, I mean, but the reason that fell apart was just because the the two broke up. Oh. Yeah, I mean, when you have two out of like what four or five in the band, yeah, and you know they decide to break off, it's like fuck it, we might as well just end the project. So I mean, yeah, that 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 wasn't like as um as like you know intense of a of a ending for a project as I was uh, imagining because I'm like, oh shit, are like we about to get into shit? But <laughs> it didn't seem to be that bad. So they broke up in like 2009. And we, I, we still wanted to put, you know, put put a record out. So we found somebody else to do all the female cleans, and we that album actually come out in 2010. We had one record, and that was it. Okay, yeah, I mean that's and, uh, that still counts the for something. Name the human tragedy actually came from the title of that occult sleep record. Okay, so that's that's where the tragedy name came from was from that record. Fun. Okay. And then you know, with the with the human tragedy, uh, kind of like, I guess, but we'll definitely be going into that later on, because obviously, th there there's a reason that you decided to join us here on the Anatomy Podcast, um, whether it be uh, your connection with Brian of the Breathing Process or others, but definitely immediately curious, and this has been something I've been curious about since you messaged me about it in the first place. Um, so like as we're kind of going over your legacy and learning your story thus far, we learned about, you know, early on your love for Beethoven and how that ended up getting like, eh, kind of, you're like, okay, this is pretty cool. And puts me to sleep. And then you ended up kind of digging into a more athletic career throughout middle school and high school, like not a career, but just uh, an athletic Avenue. There you go. And then, you really started out your musical legacy, started participating in bands at the start when you were 19, fresh out of high school, fresh with ideas. You're just like, I just want to go on adventures. I want to make music. Let's do shit. So you end up going through three different band projects, and then you end up, or three that I have written down, oof. Um, you go like through three or four different band projects, and then you end up at the at the Human Tragedy, starting that in 2013. So... I can only imagine that you and that band have made plenty of big moves over time and just, you know, making some 
interesting decisions uh, musically speaking and in all authenticity uh stuff in the music that i've been searching for with other bands for years now so basically as we're continuing to learn about your story um i'm sure you've had some pretty interesting people that you've talked with and that you have simply learned about music from including the likes of hans zimmer danny elfman lauren balf and uh the last one is i think junkie xl i'm not sure if that's how you if that's how it's meant to be said but let's go ahead and talk about that man if if you're okay with talking about that because that's like bing like what <laughs> That probably started. Um, I um, in a code sleep. That's where I've I discovered you know sample libraries and how you can use MIDI and do sound replacement. So that's where I pretty much learned about that. Um, not too long after I put tragedy together, um, I stumbled upon this composers forum. It's called VI Control, and it's pretty much all about people in the industry and other people who write, record, compose for film, music, and anything else. There was one day I was looking over a thread, and this is this is probably right not too long after the movie Inception come out, and everybody after that was doing the, the big low Brahms and low brass like everywhere. And mm. everybody it. And, um, and I discovered that Hans was actually on there. So slowly, I started, you know, talking to him, sending him messages back and forth, trying to pluck his brain for different stuff. You know, how, you know, what was you thinking when you done this? How did you come up with this? And we finally, he sent me a request on Facebook. So we started talking from there, and just pretty much back and forth. And um, in 2014, I got the opportunity. He told me if I was if I wanted to come hang out, you know, we could. So. Put that together, flew out there, spent about a couple hours. It, it was him. It was Anne-Marie Calhoun, who does all the violin, solo violin stuff for him. I met Lauren Balfe. I mean, Lauren has done movies like uh, Terminator Genesis. He's done a bunch of video games. He's done the last two Mission Impossibles. And Junkie, uh, Junkie done all three of the Allegiant movies. He done Mad Max, 300, Batman vs. Superman, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean. Well, that's cool. That's that's not something that most of the people I've talked to, um, like just in the local music scene, that's that's not something that you hear about. So that's actually really cool. You said it, it, there's like a specific program or a specific social media outlet per se or something comparable to a social media outlet uh for musicians in that specific field and it's called vi control it's called vi control it's it's a composers forum just for musicians who write orchestral music edm just pretty much anything and they discuss different there's a lot of sample developers on there who put all these commercial libraries that people go and buy and use in their work because pretty much what people use those sample libraries for in the industry is the, is just to do mock-ups to send a director to get to get their approval before they actually go and record the real musicians. Oh, that, that's pretty much why they were recreated. 
That's actually really cool. And I mean, definitely important for us over here uh, at Sean Cross, like any of the people that are in bands that happen to be following me and happen to be uh, kind of like looking over my work and looking over my shoulder, just like, hey, hey, what are you doing over here, bro? Like, <laughs> this, this is definitely um, this is definitely something to kind of like, hey, whoa, check this out, people. Like, this is pretty cool. And I mean, that, no, that's, that's really cool. Again, not many musicians can say that they had a chance to sit down and hang out with Hans Zimmer in person or even to uh, get creative uh, input and stuff from legends such as Danny Elfman and, you know, the, the freaking Jack Skellington himself, the, the, the figurehead of Oingo Boingo, <laughs> like lots of lots of really cool names that are being thrown around here. So if anything, like kind of breaking it down a little bit more and adding a little bit more, uh, let's see pavement to the road per se maybe the dots that way yeah at least understand which lane you're trying to be in. you know what i mean um from the point that we most recently looked over in which you started the human tragedy basically like how how did you end up getting to those points like how did you end up getting to the point of like being able to reach out on these this vi uh interface this form for all these various musicians like Obviously, there were steps in your musical career that you had to take different streets and alleyways and shit that you had to travel across and travel through to get to that point. Like, how how did you end up getting to how did you end up getting there? Because that's that's what we want to hear. That, that's a story that needs to be told. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm the type of person that if, if I really want something, I'm not going to stop until I get it. I mean, I mean, what? I mean, what's the worst he he could have said? Of, you know, you know, if if I wanted to hang out, no. I mean, I mean, he's I mean he's he's just like any other person, but yeah, just just I guess more well say more important, but you know, he's he's just another human being, right? No, absolutely. And more or less, uh, I guess a better, more specific question would be, you started everything at 19 and you're beginning a career, you're investing into drums, like at what age and at what point of, I guess, what age? There you go. More simply, um, did you end up like getting into understanding opportunities like that or just like what, what age did you end up reaching out to them and hanging out with them and all that other shit? Like, yeah. I think the first time that I think I, I ever remember being that ad adventurous was, was when when I grew when I grew up and I was playing basketball. I was probably maybe eleven or twelve years old, and my favorite basketball player was Larry Bird. And I I wrote to him in like the sixth grade, you know, you know, when you see this fan mail back and forth, pen pals and other other stuff. And uh, there was this video that they had put that he had put out, you know, it was talking about his mom and dad and all this other stuff. And for for whatever reason, I'm like, I know the town he was born in. I know his family's name. I'm going to dial directory assistance, and I'm going to see if if that if his mom is still alive, 
and I'm going to talk to him. So at, at, at 10 or 11 years old, I'm talking to his mom, talking about him. Okay. Yeah, cool. So uh, you, know, you know how you can pick up and dial 411 city and state? Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know if that's a thing now, but it used to be. I mean, yeah, pretty direct contact as yeah. long as you take the initiative and take the opportunity and just go forward and do it. Then, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a mindset, too, is not really having any uh, any social walls, per se, or just thinking that, you know, you're they're they're too out of your league. And even with legends like Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer, it's like they are just other musicians at the end of the day, which is that that like breaks down a whole bunch. But um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it really is just about reaching out to your idols and reaching out to uh, people that you at least have interest in as far as their music, or as far as their uh, musical contributions to pop culture and movies or uh, like soundtracks and shit. So let's see. Did you end up starting um, getting into drums at the age of 19? Like at the age of 19, did you just like end up smacking into drums? You got the human tragedy started, all that shit. Like, was it with the human tragedy that you ended up starting drums? No, I started playing. I, I started playing drums when I was nineteen. It was November of ninety nine. Okay, I first cool. sat behind a kid. Sweet. And um, let's see. Since then, I mean, it, it's been a long time since nineteen ninety nine. It's it's funny because that's actually the year I was born. I'm only twenty two. Um, November third, specifically of nineteen ninety nine, which a lot of kids in nineteen born in ninety nine would love to say, "Oh, they're nineties kids and shit." I'm like, "No, you're not." None of us are 90s kids. We weren't exactly, uh, <laughs> we weren't conscious of everything that was going on. We're just like, bah, 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 eating food and shit. So in 99, um, up to now, working primarily in the human tragedy, would you say that you as a drummer have like progressed significantly? You've like made all these great improvements in your technique. Um, like how is the how is the progress from from 1999 to now? Like how has that changed for you as a drummer? I I think from like I didn't really push myself or anything from like 99 until like 2005 or six because I remember listening to the same influences. It wasn't until like after that when I started discovering all these more more harder bands that I, I really tried to try to develop some sort of practice regimen. To try to work on stuff that I wanted to do, right? Okay, so I mean, I mean yeah, I, I mean, even now, I mean, I'll play for an hour a day, four or five days a week. And sometimes that's enough when you've been participating in the craft. All that matters is that you're still practicing and that you're still uh, well um, experienced in your craft and that you're still practicing and that you never stop practicing because that's that's really what it's all about with any creative medium. And uh, I should know because, I mean, since the early age of two, drawing has always been my thing. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's like as long as I'm doing calligraphy or some type of graphic art uh, contribution, which I do every day with every single day that I do uploads people, you should know that. You should be more than aware of that. I do all my thumbnails. Um, when it When it comes to that, as long as you're doing it in the moment and as long as you're not making the investment into certain like technology and just tools and equipment that you have just in vain. That's really all that matters. So 
I mean, yeah, as long as you're behind the kid every day, I'm, I'm sure you've been doing amazing. And you said from the very start of the human tragedy, you started getting into drums. So we got that, that question answered for sure. And the only time, quote, that you ended up wanting to improve your craft or you had to improve your craft was later in the discography of the human tragedy once you were listening to heavier and harder bands in the scene. So with that, I did want to ask the question of what bands did uh, end up driving you into wanting to do better as a drummer and go heavier as a drummer? Um, like, like I was mentioning, um, any of the, the Nick Barker demo records era, um, uh, Puritanical Death Cult, uh, the Omen's Child record in defiance of existence, um, Opeth, Nevermore, Fear Factory, Scar Symmetry, Ooh. Emperor, um, Dream Theater, and even rare uh, off the wall guys like Virgil Donati, Thomas Lane, all those cl clinic drummers. Okay, yeah, fun. And I mean, then with that added discography, naturally, uh, among among all of those artists, who would you say was the most influential for just kind of wanting to get into a wanting to kick per se into a higher gear of drumming? Like, what was the what was the biggest and most like influential artist from all of those um, that you just mentioned? Probably Mark Portnoy and Nicholas Barker. Okay, cool, dope. So as we're as we're kind of continuing, uh, sorry, you, you were you were saying something, sir. Uh, Nick Barker of Dan Moore, Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater. I mean, those guys. I mean, I still draw influence from, from those guys. Sick. Yeah, that's dope. So as we're continuing and learning more and more about Sam Brashear here of the Human Tragedy, uh, a really cool blackened, I would say symphonic death metal band not death core um because basically there aren't any like pig squeals like we have over with infinite annihilator or really um any of the bands that we've had on the podcast before which is like not to throw a jab because it's it's definitely awesome to have variety as far as bands here on the podcast it's actually one of my utmost um like my top priorities is to have like a variety of different bands artists and musicians here so as we kind of like dive into a new avenue, a new lane here, musically speaking, um, I don't know, like you had the, you had two records that you wrote up until the point before getting into like a sub extermination. So, I mean, throughout the discography of the human tragedy, uh, what are like some of the biggest lessons that you've learned like as a drummer or just even as a person have you had any moments of like enlightenment or any new things that came to fruition mentally like what what was going on throughout the now what is the entire discography of the human tragedy so far i think the biggest thing that i've learned from tragedy would have to be that I'm not really realistic when it comes to certain things. 
one being I'm very gung-ho. I don't care to drop what I'm doing and go. If it's something I want, I don't care to drop what I'm doing, go out and go and and keep that going for two or three months at a time. Like, I don't, I have really, really bad tunnel vision. Mm. I, like, when I get something in my head, it's hard for me to think about being rational. Like, like, like for instance, let's say, like, I want to tell the guys, you know, I want to go play 70 shows in 2023, and we're going to hop in this van, and that's what we're going to do. Like, yeah, I mean, and that's what, and the next question is like, well, how are we going to do that? I was like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. That's always, <laughs> that's always happening. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm getting better at thinking shit through, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, sometimes in that certain, in that circumstance, sometimes ambition is all that you need because these days, even I speaking as a guy that does not have an official band started, but wants to get a band project rolling, who has learned bits and pieces about the music music industry over time, everything that um, a music enthusiast, a music journalist, not everything, but plenty of stuff for someone in my avenue to learn. It's like, it's very important to have that sort of mindset when you're wanting to accomplish so much and you're making these big moves that you're making in your band project. Um, and I think one good way, one pretty solid way to kind of wrap up um, what will be the person, the people part of the podcast. Let's go up. Peace. Um, basically, Mr. Sam Brashaw, I wanted to go ahead and pluck five different artists. Five, like, okay, I'll go ahead and simplify it because I've been complicating that a lot in recent episodes either five people five bands or artists or five albums that you would say has kind of helped you become the pretty like good shopper of a drummer that you have become for human tragedy that helped you get onto the path of getting into the human tragedy there's something i want to say that that like I don't I don't know if it's necessary I'm as good as whatever, but this band is only as good as the people who've seen it. Right. Like there's there's no way I could do it if I didn't surround myself with people who who I thought were, were really talented. Yeah, exactly. That's very important. Uh Jonathan, the keyboard player, he's been with me since a cold sleep. Oh shit, okay. Yeah, so he, so I he's you know, 2000, 2007. Um, yeah, I met him in two thousand seven, and he, he's been he he's wrote all the keyboard orchestrator for both bands. No, that's dope. That's that's actually really cool. And big shout out to him for sure. It, it's funny because like we have we have another another member for the human tragedy in the room, but <laughs> like you know. Nonetheless, shout out to him because I'm I'm sure his contributions, his loyalty to you as a musician, as a friend, I'm sure his. I mean, you know, to be honest, there is no tragedy without him. There you go. Yeah, that's. I would say, say that every day and twice on Sunday, there is no tragedy without him. Absolutely. There you go. 
and that just that's just speaking on two parts of two different projects like that's that's loyalty that's brotherhood that's friendship right there which is really really important when you're trying to get a serious project started um but as we were saying before um what would be five people five artists or musicians and or five bands that you would say have helped you kind of traverse onto the path that you are currently on with the human tragedy So you want five people plus five bands? Um, it can it can be either or. So it can be uh, like five people. It can be five bands or five albums. And like you can just honestly, if you want to, you can bounce back and forth because there's like so much of all of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would really love to be as humble and modest as John Williams is. Okay. <laughs> um. I mean, I guess I have to throw in Hans and Danny too because I I just love everything they do. Just, I think a lot um, of people do. <laughs> um, uh, Thomas Bergeson from Two Steps from Hell. Okay, sick. Um, Dream Theater. Dream Theater has been responsible for a lot. And I, uh, I had the same metallic because that's where my roots were when I started. Absolutely. Like I mean, that's that's all I played and all I learned. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, Got to stick I, to your I, roots, man. Uh, yeah. And, like, I totally, totally, totally spaced that off, too. But before, definitely before we wrap up the people side of the podcast, um, for the first time on the podcast ever, shout out to her. You know who you are. Um, The... My roommate's mom actually is familiar with Two Steps from Hell and me being kind of a younger music enthusiast and a younger uh, music journalist per se, someone who's like trying to just get into the field, get into the business. Um, for those who are not familiar, like, can you kind of get a, give us an introduction to what uh, Two Steps from Hell is? Because I know you're involved in that. If you, I've got, well, I mean, just kind of lays into it, but, uh, in 2014, um, I'd done a drum cover of a Two Steps from Hell song called That's a Rap. And I had sent that to Thomas. Mm. Um, if he ever needed any any drum track or whatever, that I would do it. Three years later, he, he hits me up and says, you know, I've got some tracks I want you to do drums for. So I ended up doing four four tracks. Three was on his on the Thomas on the Thomas Burgers and Solo Records. The last one actually ended up on a two sets of record, Myth, which is the newest one. Cool, fun, and uh, what what is Two Steps from Hell? Is it like a is it like a record label or a music distribution? Two Steps from Hell are Thomas Bergeson and Nick Phoenix, who owns the Sample Library Company East West. Okay, pretty much what they do, they write film music for trailers that which uh, different companies can license for their trailers. Okay. They, 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 they pretty much write trailer music. Oh, that's all they do. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds really, really fun. And like, yeah, definitely in the modern age where it, it's becoming so much more relevant, um, the idea of anything and everything that's made in a minute or less 
Um, that's like TikTok. That's such a good example of a TikTok or any of the social media platforms like Instagram or now YouTube Shorts, which that's just a newer version of it. Um, no, that's that's super cool. And the the thing that um you ended up participating in that uh one way or the other, which is super cool. Um, it's great. I do appreciate you uh, answering the questions thus far, and that is a great way I think to wrap up the people side of the podcast. Now we descend into the human tragedy and your contributions to that. So being that we were not able to get the whole lineup, per se, of the human tragedy on the Anatomy podcast tonight, we have Sam here, the chops, the drums, for those of you who are not familiar and maybe just kind of spaced off after a little bit, which is completely fine. I understand. <laughs> um, Sam is the drummer. And now with this side of the podcast, we kind of learn more about the band uh, from your words, your perspective, uh, your opinions, all that fun stuff. And you did, what's funny is you did end up answering uh, the initial question earlier in the podcast session. But if anything, uh, we'll just be having you go into a little bit more detail concerning the answer of this question, which would be how did the name, the human tragedy end up being conjured for this pretty intense, pretty theater friendly project. The human tragedy, as I mentioned before, it come from the occult sleep record. The occult sleep record was called the human tragedy. Oh. And I, 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 I locked the name. I really liked the name, so I just kept it. Fun. Yeah. And, I mean, let's see. So we got that covered, which is cool, because no offense to anybody before who's been on the podcast, because we've loved all of you. We've loved all of your time. But pretty often in our scene, in the scene of deathcore and hardcore or even, like, slam and shit, usually when people cook up names, it's like, eh, it sounded cool. But at the very least you ended up plucking the name for what ended up being the human tragedy off of a record of a prior project, which that's pretty cool. So was it just the name or did it, were, were there any ties to the album the project was named after? Um, like what, was there any uh, narrative context or something that you wanted to continue from that album that ended up becoming a whole band? I think I went through like a bunch of different names. I just, I just didn't like them enough to actually name the band that. I just, and I just, uh, I just remember like, I think I was listening to that record something in the car or something. And I thought, well, wait a minute, it's kind of a cool name, the record. So I just, that's kind of how it happened really. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. And over time, I mean, just speaking from your perspective and your opinions and such, um, for what is currently the human tragedy, which is a pretty cool band, I would say. Uh, pretty cool idea, musically speaking. What has been like the ultimate goal and desire for you and what do you accomplish for this band? I've pretty much accepted I'm not going to make a lot of money in this genre. I would just love to stay busy and just see different new places. I mean, I, and, and, and just keep being creative. Cool. Yeah. So ultimately, ultimately, the goal is 
just understanding that there's there's not much profit um there's not that much profit in making orchestral death metal symphonic death metal but the important part is like having fun and just continuing to do it then for you yeah i just, I just love being creative sweet yeah and so when when you think of like the um the human tragedy um and everything that you mentioned beforehand with your top five that you ended up throwing into the ether um and those being pretty solid contributions to what you have done for the human tragedy thus far um is there anything that you're wanting to do differently in the future for the human tragedy compared to what you've already done i would like to have a live orchestra on a record a lot more orchestra i would like to record a live orchestra for the record for a record oh. one day Ooh, okay and that's funny because it kind of sounds like you you did like with how i i guess for someone like me who's not really that well versed in like how recording process goes or anything of that similar nature or even just hearing um an organic orchestra that often on a record i absolutely thought it was a real orchestra and stuff so i mean yeah i think that's a that's a goal for a lot of um music musicians and bands right now even if they're not in this specific avenue lane of metal music it's like I'm seeing a lot more people the last couple of years wanting to incorporate orchestra, choir, symphony, and just everything in between into a metal album. And I think if, if you're not familiar with them, Architects, um, a band from the UK, actually did that pretty well uh, as of last year with For Those That Wish To Exist. They they didn't, it, it wasn't like the main priority by any means on the record, but they incorporated, I think, orchestra and choir and just everything in between again where they could on this record and it really added a nice little flair to it but um i guess that that's a pretty good way to uh that's that's a pretty good question to ask too is like are you kind of familiar with like the surge of uh symphonic death metal and symphonic metal that is uh i don't know if it's been a thing for a long time but it's definitely becoming more apparent in the in the last couple of years like have you been able to witness that and like are you familiar with the the trend and boom in uh, orchestral and symphonic elements being added to heavy music as of recently I've, I've noticed it I mean I remember on the Code Slave record like there weren't that many sample libraries out right. to be able to do that stuff I mean there was probably like, a, like four or five that were out so, the, so there, there wasn't a lot of, I guess, resources out there during that time. And then even, even though there was that not that many out, they, sample libraries were not as mainstream and well-known as what they are now. Yeah. I, I didn't notice sample libraries getting really, really big until probably around... 2010, 2011, I, I slowly started hearing choirs, horns, you know, full string patches. Right. You know. <laughs> but I mean, I think it. I, I think. Um, I think orchestral elements with metal is is the perfect blend. I mean, I just after playing with samples for this long, like, 
I can never play in a band that didn't have any sort of like orchestral elements in the background because it, it just adds so much life to it and it pretty much takes the track somewhere else. Exactly. It makes it, it definitely makes it feel like more uh, authentic, more organic when it does have orchestral or symphonic elements incorporated because like, I think that really allows for the emotion to leak out and for the music to become more human, which is funny to think because the only difference then is more clanky metal instruments instead of like instruments plugged into amps and into uh, into just various equipment to make it sound loud and or for it to concentrate into a computer instead. Like with all of that, that's, that's not something you got to plug in. Scott play loud and have a lot of people doing it, which I can only imagine that just adds a little bit more depth to what is there already. Um, definitely does for me. I've I've been in love with uh, all of those elements being incorporated into heavy music for such a long time now, and I've been searching for it more and more. And now that we have the black and death core trend and the black and death core black and death metal um, surge happening here including bands like The Breathing Process. Shout out to Brian. Um, we got legends like Lorna Shore, Shout Out of Intent. Um, we got Shrine of Malice as of recently. We have uh, Warm Shepherd. Like so many bands that are taking those type of elements and making them their own. It's super cool to see. And as well, of course, The Human Tragedy, which we now can say that we've had the honor of hosting on our podcast. And as they continue moving forward, I'm sure they will be uh, cooking up plenty of awesome material here in the future and therefore pretty good question pretty um interesting way i would say to come to a close with the anatomy podcast episode 32 um what would you say is in the works for the human tragedy for the near future what are you guys' plans I think we're, we're going to do a couple more shows this year and then we're going to put together our release for probably the spring. I think we have we have enough for another full length right now. The only thing that's missing is vocals. And besides this, we we finished, we, we're, we're 90% done with one now as far as the orchestrations go. That That's going to need vocals. I mean, Pretty much, you'll try to put another record next year. Sweet, yeah. And has it has it been your aim to uh, like what what has been like your ultimate goal um, as far as because uh, I know there are some bands out there that we know that like try to they they want to release an album every year. Like, how is has that been a a goal for the Human Tragedy for a little bit? Is to be able to do that on the regular or? Are you guys more like, no, 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 let's just take a couple years and crank an album, and then if we have more than enough, we'll just release after that? No, I mean, personally, what I would like to do, I would like to use, like, the fall and winter months to write and record a record and then spend the entire spring, summer, and fall playing it out. Right. But, I mean, I don't... I don't like a lot of downtime. I don't do well when I don't have anything to do or work on. I, I can't oh, stand yeah. it. I, I absolutely can't stand it. It, it drives me fucking crazy. I, I don't <laughs> like it. I, I need something to work on. Okay. Yeah, and, naturally. 
when people are close to me, especially my wife, and she will say, you know, it's like, you know, can we watch a movie or can we do this? I'm like, but John, just <laughs> I, I got to work on this mix. You know, we just finished recording it. You know, yeah. Let's see. If I I can't let's see here. Let's see. Like the, the track we just finished, almost it has seventy tracks of of uh, keyboards. To it. Seventy tracks of keyboard. Yeah, that's full string. Yes, full woodwinds, full percussion, choirs, and synths. Damn, man, that's that's a lot of shit. <laughs> it's a lot of work to do, but I mean, that way you're just you're just keeping yourself occupied, like you said, and it. I, I completely understand that just wanting to constantly be busy because the moment that you're idle, the moment that you're silent and that you're at standpoint or standoff, you're just like, okay, what are we doing now? What, what now? That's, that's the simplest and most probably terrifying question of any artist or musician. But yeah, I mean, I think with that being said, it is currently 7.09 PM for me. I'm sure it's a little bit later for you. Um, we've had some time to spend here with Sam Brashear of the human tragedy and apparently their keyboardist in the background, shout out to him, um, here on the 24th of September. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's been a pretty solid episode, episode 32. I'm surprised that I did not cough at all during this podcast session because for the first time since me living here in Tennessee, allergies have been kicking my ass and I'm just barely coming out of it after two days of just not wanting to do anything at all. But Sam, I do appreciate the time that you've decided to spend here on the podcast. Um, I appreciate your time, your storytelling uh, for your legacy as a musician, and even as kind of an amateur athlete back in middle and middle school and junior, uh, middle school and high school. Um, and then, you know, your whole entire journey since then, going from 19 up until now, is participating in various projects, becoming a drummer, becoming a kick ass drummer, hanging out with some pretty kick ass musicians, and then, you know, kind of being where we are now with you and the human tragedy it is uh it's been fun it's been a special night here on the United podcast and is there anything that you are wanting to say to our audience before we go ahead and depart for the night i think just because you've been so nice and, and kind would you like to hear something that we just tracked sure that would be fun Oh shit. Sick. All right. Yeah, lots of choir, lots of intense singing and stuff. So that should be pretty fun. And right. I mean, to say the least, much appreciated for providing us that little preview here on the on the Anatomy podcast. 
Um, hope you guys enjoyed episode 32. Stay tuned for episode 33. And otherwise, enjoy your night.